Hey folks, Josh here. Just jumping in at the start to let you know that I've placed some timestamps in the show notes where you're listening to today's episode. Just to let you know the approximate times where my guest, Sean Callanan, and I change topics because we kind of go all over the place from sport to getting hold of ticketing and sporting tickets internationally, which for the travellers among you, that's probably the most interesting part of today's episode. And we also talk about Sean's time getting started in stand-up comedy, which is really interesting, and he took part in this thing called the School of Hard Knock Knocks, which I was a little bit fixated with in the episode because I love that name. I just kept saying it to myself, so apologies in advance for that. And yeah, it's a really cool chat for everything to do with Punching Sideways. Check out punchingsideways.com. Okay, in case I forgot to say it earlier, my name's Josh Liston. This is Sean Callanan from Sports Geek HQ. And yeah, we go full Sports Geek in this conversation. So I'm here with Sean Callanan from sportsgeekhq.com. And Sean is on the show today to talk about something which is near and dear to my heart, and that's the convergence between the nerdiness of tech culture and pop culture and sports culture, which I know growing up, even in the 80s through to mid-90s, there seemed to be more of a separation in what people liked and how they actually embraced the things they liked than what there is now. So I guess we'll just dive straight in the deep end, Sean, if you're cool with it. What are you seeing out there, and maybe across the span of yourself as a sports fan and tech fan, what are you seeing as the big changes in the way people interact with sport? Because I think it's just pure nerd culture almost these days. So uh, Yeah, well, I, I have to agree with you. When I started my business nine years ago and called it Sports Geek, it was something that I, uh, I wrestled with a little, a little bit, you know, the geek nerd culture and, and how it was viewed. And I reckon at nine years ago, it was a little bit of, you know, hang on, why aren't you wearing thick rimmed glasses and in a darkened room all the time? Um, but since then... It's it's been on a sort of two sides of, of of sport overall. You've sort of seen the money ball, Billy Bean. Uh, if you haven't watched the movie uh, Oakland A's analytics side of of the sports business and how analytics has changed how coaches are going to do it. Uh, so there's that side of the of the the analytics and the you know the new Knicks coach uh, saying take that for data. Uh, and that kind of thing. Uh, so there's that analytics, you know, the Sloan Conference, uh, Daryl Morey in the NBA uh, sort of led the way in that in that space. So there's that side on the on the court. Um, and it's not just basketball; it's obviously baseball and all different sports. That there's more and more analytics and tech uh, being introduced into the game. And then the side that I work in is is off the court. And so where you know where the geeks are starting to rule is. Uh, the fact that digital is becoming so prevalent in the way we now consume sport, you know, if, you know, you're harkening back there to the, to the eighties and nineties, you know, if we wanted to follow sport here in Australia in the eighties and nineties, we would have to wait until, you know, the ABC or channel 10 put it on, on delay three or four days later. Whereas now it's all coming to us directly straight into our mobile phones with league pass and every league's now got them. So that has really opened up the world and social and digital media, which is a place that I play in a lot, um, has helped uh, deepen the connections with, with fans. So, you know, I think uh, the world, the sports fan world have got a lot to thank uh, for, the, for the geeks and the nerds uh, to provide that content, you know, directly to the devices we now use every day. What you said there makes me think about the, 
It must have been the Australian Open 2014 semi-final with Djokovic and Wawrinka. And I started watching it on the television. And then I thought, geez, I really have to just go to bed. I've got to work super early in the morning. But this game's going to be epic. So firstly, I fired up the app in my, like laying in bed and watched it yep. on the first version of the Australian Open app. I think they released at that point. It might even have been Seven Sport. And then when my phone started to go a little bit flat, I then clicked open another app and listened to just the audio feed. Yep. And I think I think that game might have went to ten uh, eight in the. Yep. It was a massive five setter that finished at like one thirty in the morning. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And and that's the crazy thing is you know that was what just four years ago that that app was launched, and now we've got the we've got to the point where Channel Nine has paid sixty million dollars for the. Uh, for the TV rights of of tennis, but the but the little asterisk on that sixty million dollars, knowing that uh, Channel Seven uh, bidded thirty five million, mind you, yeah. uh, ch- Channel Nine have got all of the rights. So the TV, uh, the digital, the catch up rights, all mobile, all social, and they have the ability to on sell it to different parties. So they can go back to Twitter and say, do you want to buy this match? They can go back to Facebook. And and, and so that's where, you know, the revenue has been increased by, by digital, but then also that the consumption and how we're going about consuming sport, you know, has changed. Uh, you know, there was a lot of misconception of, oh, people would not watch sport on a, on a phone. It's too small. Now, admittedly, our phones have got bigger, but all the stats show that people watch more sport. Uh, they're watching it on their mobile and it hasn't actually detracted from people watching on TV. It's actually got people to watch more TV and watch more live sports. So, you know, digital's been a big part of that in both increasing consumption, but then also increasing revenue for teams. Yeah, definitely. And that's something we might jump into in a minute is maybe how individual teams are handling this change in the evolution of the technology. But just to stick with my tennis thing, because not many people other than people who follow me on Twitter realize that I am more obsessed with tennis than pretty much nearly anything else in my life. There's a way that certain companies, like I think the Australian Open, to their credit, and this isn't just me being a homer, yeah. I think that they're, they're the world leader, in the tennis world at least, in how they've used all the technology to their benefit. And they're not just using it to keep telling the same old tired narratives about two or three players and their career development and then forgetting about everyone else. Because the beauty of having all the multiple screens is I can watch a couple of the up-and-coming guys while on my phone or iPad or both and also be watching maybe one of the premier matches on the television. Did you think that we'd be seeing so much dual-screen stuff in the sports world so quickly? Because the big thing in Australia always that was scary was do we have enough bandwidth? But these companies have done so much work on the back end that we're getting like Netflix-quality delivery somehow. I mean, you might know more yeah. about how that happens. Did you think that that side of it would happen as quickly as it has? Because it seems to have come so far. Yeah, I think if you look at the trends, you know, especially in the US and on, you know, dual screening and, you know, multiple, like, is it, you know, especially for an event like, like the tennis, it's got so much content crammed into such so little time. And so, you know, that's pretty much driven by, and it's not to take anything away from the people at Tennis Australia who do a terrific job. It's pretty much what Channel 7 have been trying to do to maximize their rights, whether that be, you know, what they've done with tennis, uh, what they've done with the with the Olympics recently and the Commonwealth Games. Um, they realize that the consumer is moving and TV isn't what it w- was. Like, again, if we look, harken back to the 80s and 90s when it was, there's four channels. 
you know, and now, so now we've got multiple channels on the TV, but then we've got multiple, we've got some, you know, the, the rights uh, that can end up on the mobile devices. And so it's sort of the, the TV networks, are, by and large, again, globally, are losing audience across the board on, on all traditional TV. You know, no one's tuning in on a Tuesday night to watch a certain show anymore. We're watching it on catch-up. We're watching it. We're binge-watching it. And so the opportunity of live sport is a way for TV broadcasters to better reach uh, consumers. Um, and then, then the challenge for the Tennis Australia's of the world is, well, what's left? Uh, okay, the broadcaster is doing all of the live vision, Right. If you want to watch Federer, Nadal, Serena Williams, then you've got to you've got to turn into Channel Seven. But if you want anything outside of that, that's all that's all up for grabs. And that's what I think Tennis Australia does really well, um, both in activating the event, uh, but then also telling the story of, well, you can't come to the event. Here's some of the stories around the event that we can share via the different different channels. So it's a little bit of working what working with what uh, the rights allow. Um, and so if the rights don't allow you to you know, do live matches and, and lots of coverage and highlights, then, you know, what, what can you do on those channels? So I think that's a bit that's going to be, you know, as a tennis fan, you know, I think it'd be really interesting to see how Channel 9 handle it uh, from next summer or when it, when their rights kick in and, and all the rights that they do have. It's actually going to be really interesting to see if Channel 9 get the, get the rights one year early because uh, Channel 7's channels are going to be bursting at the seams this summer because they've got the rights to the cricket and the tennis um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays and how digital plays a part. But yeah, it's really just a matter of, you know, the bandwidth piece. And it's not a joke, just the fact that we're in Australia and our internet is terrible, but it's also the attention bandwidth of, of sports fans. You can't, you can only watch so much, but how do you make sure that you are, you know, serving up your content to the, to the fans as they need it? The one thing that I think this technology allows that maybe people of my generation would not have been able to see is the story behind emerging emerging athletes across multiple levels of the sport. Because normally when it comes to broadcast, you're only really ever seeing the cream of the crop of people that have already made it and it's kind of in the moment. Whereas, to go back to tennis because it's an easy analogy, you can watch people that have just made the first round through to maybe, well, there's arguably in the men's draw now, still three guys that are probably the three greatest players ever still playing at once. And you can see all their matches from all around the world through something like the tennis app. Yep. With that storytelling element, those young players that may never have made broadcast traditionally, they're the people that are going to be carrying sports in 10 years or however long the sport happens to last for. So it's pretty awesome in that respect. Yeah, and the thing is, I think the the thing that has different uh, that has changed, um, you know, 10, 15, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was always on the the broadcaster to tell that story, uh, whereas now what we're seeing is athletes using their own social and digital channels. They get to tell their own story, so we see some athletes pop up because they're good at good at content or good at telling a story or good or have a bit of a personality. And so that's also changed, I guess, the way that uh, you know the way entertainment has changed. It you know someone will be discovered via YouTube or something like that. Um, but the athlete, you know, the athlete has a little bit more power and they're not beholden to, I've, I've got to be on the TV channel for people to know me, you know, things like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and those kind of things, uh, can, can help fans have that direct relationship, uh, with the athlete. Yeah, exactly. So before we move on to 
I wanted to talk to Sean today about his ideas for how you get hold of tickets because part of what we wanted to talk about on this show was a little bit of travelling to cultural stuff. Yep. But we'll wait. And also we're going to talk about a comedy thing that Sean's been involved in, which is why really I wanted him on the show today because I know that he's always posting funny stuff and saying funny things. So before before we get off sport, yep. let's just go really granular on the nerdy side of the social stuff. Yep. I mean, you, you would be able to tell me, but is there any company in the world that is as in the moment and leading the charge like the NBA? It's just amazing the, the amount of quality that they can just have in the moment. Things just happen, and two seconds later, there's digital artwork and there's yeah videos. So I think, and- yeah, so I think the the I think the global strategy of the NBA. I mean, there was a recent article, uh, a recent interview with Adam Silver, um, where he sort of talked about, I guess their their, their digital strategy in broad strokes, and he, and he talked about snacks versus meals, and he sort of saw social and digital as as snacks, and he said we want to give those snacks out to fans because. Those snacks then lead to fans wanting a meal. A meal is watching a full game or attending a game. And so they've taken a real different approach than other leagues around protecting their their rights. I still find it funny when I see NBA say, you know, they, they roll out their copyright, uh, cannot be produced, you know, little snippet on the video because they really don't care. Um, they're quite happy for fans to to take the highlights, tweet them out. Um, Vine pretty much only existed for NBA highlights. Um, you know, we've got yeah. we've got Instagram accounts like House of Highlights, which is a guy that was just pretty much clipping together the best highlights from the NBA and pushing them out on, on Instagram. And rather than sending him a cease and desist, he got a job with Bleacher Report, and it's one of the it's one of the ways that many people find out. You know, get game recaps, and so. You know, the strategy of not playing that whack-a-mole, uh, trying to shut down every account uh, that's sharing your content, which is something that, you know, the NFL and Major League Baseball and some of the European leagues do in trying to say it's our content, it's got to be on our channels, people have to pay, we're putting behind a paywall, that kind of thing. The NBA's gone the other way and said, here's our content, you're the fans, use it how you want. And th- what they've seen is a tremendous growth. You know, you've got this, you know, the concept and the, the buzzer that is NBA Twitter, you know, the banter that goes back onto the boards when the games are on. But it just, it completely just grows the game and introduces the game to so many new people. Um, and it's definitely helped with the global growth. So, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a fan of the NBA, um, as a, as a product, but I'm a bigger fan of what they've done, uh, in the digital space. And I guess the, the, uh, the permission that they've given their fans, but then also their teams and what they can and can't do with their content. And some of that's, you know, if you want to get into the nerdy tech stuff, um, you know, some of that is products like uh, the guys at WSC Sports. So I've had the guys at WSC on my uh, on my podcast change to them about the technology and their, their technology is an automated video technology that can detect when cool highlights happen, right? Wow. They know, they, they can, it can Seriously? detect. Yeah, so it detects. Wow. So it detects via um, both uh, uh, stats. So it'll know. Oh, Steph Curry hit a three, and then he hit another three. It also, but then it also calculates that with what the commentator's doing and the crowd noise to know that the crowd's going bananas at Oracle Arena. And so when that event happens, they go, "Oh, Steph Curry's hit three three threes in two minutes." It automatically cuts the video, not just capturing the the shot, it does the five seconds before, so you see him coming off the curl, and two seconds after, so you see him doing some shimmy dance to back down the court. <laughs> yeah. It automatically creates that. 
and so and then goes out on social on all the different channels. So they the NBA went from producing 300 videos a day across all of their global uh, accounts to 1,500 videos a day, all automated. Um, and so that's why when when Dante uh, when Dante Exum slam uh, gets a slam dunk in the playoffs, we see that in Australia because they go, oh, he's Australian. Uh, he's got a dunk. That's a great look. We'll make sure the NBA account in Australia shows that. And so taking out people in this, you know, uh, and setting up these rules has seen their content go, like I said, you know, viral in a sense. Um, and it's real that, that type of execution is near impossible to do with people. We like to say, Oh, cool. Let's cut that video, put it up and then put like it's coming out. Like literally you, you'll, the timeout happens and you'll go down to Twitter. And that'll be the highlight you just saw in the game. And so that yeah. quick to market, you know, helps. You, you're just sitting there in awe of the, you know, of what you watched on the big screen. You obviously just then want to go, oh, that's what I just saw. That's amazing. I want to share it. So tech like that has been, you know, one of the big reasons why, uh, the, you know, getting the content in the hands of the fans as quick as possible. Yeah, and that almost sounds like that it would be a cure for some of the issues that I have with for instance, the tennis social, yep. which will have... I mean, I'm a massive fan of Federer, Nadal, all those bigger players, but there's great shots hit at that level by every player in the game, and usually they'll hit at least one a game. Yep. And quite often, unless you're watching, you'll never see it. Yep. And it's almost taking the... It's using the wisdom of the crowd as the indicator as opposed to one person's editorial decision that... Let's focus on this. Completely. And that's, yeah, that's what the WSC guys have, that's the secret source that they've done. Uh, it's a combination of stats, crowd noise, commentator, um, highlights, all of that kind of thing to get it right. They've started in basketball and, and football and soccer. Um, and once they've got it right, um, then it's a matter of who's allowed to post it, you know, so whether it goes on the tennis Australian Open handle or whether it goes on the seven tennis handle or those kind of things, the fan in the end doesn't really matter. They just want to see the highlight. They want to see, yeah. oh, look, there's that, there's that between the legs, you know, volley from Nick Kyrgios, and I want to see it immediately. Um, so, yeah, it's just a matter of, you know, getting that technology in place and how do you go about doing it. So just before we move on, is that – I mean, that's a really awesome example of something that just blows my mind. <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that ubiquitous across is, – is the NBA deploying that as their technology to the clubs or is it something that the clubs have to take on? Uh, yeah, so without, without at least going into the complete deal, but I'm pretty sure, yeah, WSC have done a deal with the, um, the NBA and then the NBA effectively get, uh, gives the clubs a license. So the reason, you know, the reason you're seeing great clips on all of the club accounts, um, it's because they've got WSC so they can set up their own rules. Um, and so it all becomes this, you know, algorithm sort of base thing. And so if, you know, if the Milwaukee Bucks want to make sure that, uh, you know, that certain, certain types of events when Giannis does something ridiculous, they can make sure they can have those rules in place or they can just, uh, they could just have WSC running in the background. So when they want to go get a highlight, all the clips are already done. So there's a few different ways you can go about doing it. Okay. Let's move on to people that are listening who may be interested enough in sport that they want, want to actually go to a game. And this is something that I'm planning on doing later in the year. And also next list. Not even not just bucket list games, but just going trying to get tickets to sport just seems like overseas particularly yep. seems like a bit of a it is a headache a bit of a, bit of yeah. a task. And I was hoping someone who's been overseas a lot and has kind of an inside track <laughs> might be able to tell us 
do you have any idea the best ways of getting tickets, lead times, anything that could help people that are interested? Yeah, yeah. So, so I get hit up a lot because people know that I know a lot of people. Um, so yeah, so the one way is uh, spend nine years networking with the sports <laughs> business world. So sorry, uh, then you can so, actually just sorry, Sean, you may get hit up for free tickets. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. So yeah, so I so I'm I'm connected with a lot of people, so that helps. Um, but that's not obviously a path that everyone can take. One startup that uh, that I like that's pretty much been built uh, specifically for this. Uh, so it's a startup called uh, Sports Where I Am. So sportswhereiam.com, and it's built primarily for what you just said. So if uh, so, if you're planning to go to where are you planning to go? Like, give me some places. Well, yeah, I want to go to the East Coast. In North America, East Coast. So you obviously yep. want to go to you're going to go to New York and Madison Square Garden. You want to see when, yep. what's on there, right? So the way sports where I am works. So at the moment, if you were to do that, you would go, oh, I'm going to be in New York this time, and then you'd go to the NBA site, and then you go to the NHL site, then you go to the MLB site, then you'll go to the NFL site, try to figure out what dates are on. And what you might not realize is you could go to New Jersey and there's a game, or you could you know could quickly get in a train down to uh, Philadelphia and there's a game. So where Sports Where I Am is, it's a city-based uh, sports travel business. So you can say, I'm going to New York or Philadelphia or Washington at, on these dates, and it aggregates and tells you, hey, these, these are the events, uh, sports events that are on, whether it be you know, top level, uh, NBA and that kind of stuff, or, or minor league and those kind of things. And they act as uh, a ticket broker. So you can say, I want to go to these games, and they do all the running around for you to get you a verified ticket, you pay for it in Australian dollars, you get a ticket, and then they also give you a whole bunch of guides around how to get there, what 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 bar is the best bar to go to, that kind of thing. So they're doing terrific stuff in helping, you know, just, uh, you know, helping people either get tickets to, you know, those bucket list, bucket list items, whether it be in the US uh, or in the UK, like they're helping, uh, I was talking last week, they're helping someone go to the Champions League final uh, match uh, in Kiev. Um, and again, you know, where do you start to try to find those tickets? And you end up in the murky world of ticket brokers, scalpers, not sure if they're real, not sure if you're going to get ripped off, that kind of place. And that's really hard. So now when someone says, hey, I'm going to go to LA for a week, how do I get tickets to the Lakers or the Clippers or the Kings? I just send them to Sports Ram. So um, it, does a, it does a really good job. And I think I think you know. I'll, che- I'll check with you, but I think if you use the code SportsGeek, you can get a discount. But I will. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll check that. But it's just because they're mates of mine that they said, "Hey, when you're talking to people, at least tell them the, that you sent them." But that's a really good. It's a really good tool because the problem you described is the problem that other people have had. And like you know, and I've done it in the past, early on when I've uh, before you know before I started SportsGeek, I, I, I would have done the. You know, I bought I bought fake tickets and tried to get in Mass Square Garden 15 years ago, and I was born off a scalper and didn't get in. Um, and you know, that's the frustration. Now the technology is getting there. Nathan Hubbard, who's a former, he was the former CEO of Ticketmaster. He's just set up a a new business called Rival just in the last week um, to hope hopefully really disrupt the ticketing market where instead of a paper ticket, your face will be identifiable and connected to the ticket. And so if sports teams and more so venues uh, start using their technology, they'll be able to see who actually has the ticket and not sell ticket to brokers potentially and push it in the secondary market because the secondary market's so big in the US. Whereas if they were able to say, 
hey, Josh, you bought the ticket. And then if you want to sell it to me, you'd have to transfer it to me and it would be connected to me, my account, my face. So there's still some disruption happening. Um, It's still really dominated by the big players like Ticketmaster and a few others, you know, and the same as is here. Ticketmaster and Ticketek dominate the market. And so they can say, you know, which version of how do you want your ticket? Either way, it doesn't matter. You're all going to pay 540 whether you print it off or have it on your mobile. So that, that disruption is coming, um, which is, I think is a good thing. I think it's going to be better for fans. Um, but at the moment, you know, if you want to go to a game um, and you're not sure where to start, I'd at least start with Sports RAM because they'll be able to tell you, here's the tickets we've got, here's the different prices, what, you know, what would you like? And the guys behind it are, are, you know, good guys that are really just trying to make sure Aussie sports fans can get to the games they want to. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. I've had this conversation with a few people that have gone to the US particularly recently because there's a glut of major sports codes there. Yep. And they've said to me, Josh, you could just buy it when you're there. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to travel. Part of why I'm going 15 plus hours to across the world is to see sport. It's not yep. an ancillary kind of thing yes. that I'm doing. It's one of the main reasons. And I don't want to be stuck so far away that I can't even see what's going on. Yeah. And and again, that's that's why the Sports Ram guys exist. So I, I, I've done the fly by the seat of my pants type of thing. And, you know, I'm in town. Oh, what's in, what's on this week? Oh, yeah, I'll go to that game. You know, I went to a national championship game uh, uh, football at the Rose Bowl when I was in 2010. I just went to check out the, 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 the tailgating party and stuff like that just to see what the stadium's like on a big, big day. It was effectively, you know, the college football grand final um, with Texas Longhorns in Alabama. Um, and I was walking back to my car to, you know, because I'd saw, seen some ticket scalpers and I, went, I didn't mean enough to me to, to, to pay big money to go in. And someone said, hey, there's still tickets available. Go to Will Call. And so I just went to Will Call, bought a ticket and ended up sitting behind the Texas band and had an absolute blast. But And I just bought one at face value. So you can do that. But again, I agree with you. If you if you're going to go there, and you know there are going to be places like, you know, how do I get into Madison Square Garden? How do how do I get into you know Lambeau Field for Green Bay or you know those kind of things? If it's baseball, there's 100 you know 100 squillion games a year. You can always get in. You can always move around that kind of thing. But if you want a you know good experience, you know I always say you know go get tickets that that are a little bit more expensive, you can always sit in the bleachers. You can go to, you know, I, I got a ticket and went and sat in the bleachers at Wrigley Field and had a ball at a Cubs game and it cost like it's a $5 ticket. Like, but, you know, but you can also for $80, $90 sit behind home plate and get access to a suite. You know, I, I got, I, I paid $60 once uh, and I got access to a suite at a, at a Clippers game because someone, you know, on a secondary market piece. So like you can, you can search around Um and, and you know, luck out. But yeah, if you're going and you know, and you want to guarantee, I want to go to that game. It's much better to uh, uh, to lock in the tickets. But even then, it doesn't go well. Like I, uh, I, I went to a Clippers LeBron game, um, thinking, cool, I'll finally see LeBron in person. And LeBron and Kyrie and Kevin Love all sat. And it's like, well, oh well, what are you going to do? You know, so. Um, but yeah, but I, I agree. If you if you you know if that's the reason, if it's part of the reason that you're getting in a getting on a plane for 15 hours, yeah, you want to have those tickets in your in your hand before you before you hop on the plane. Definitely. And before we move on and talk some comedy with the school of hard knock knocks, which is still one of the great names. Yeah. I just want I just wanted to what exactly goes on in a suite at an NBA game? You're not gonna. I don't think we can let you get away with not telling us about that. Oh yeah. So. Uh, 
it depends. So, so I've been lucky enough for a couple of times um, to be in a Sweden NBA game. It's the same. I mean, it's the same as every other uh, suite. If you've been to a been to a super box here in Australia, or it's you know uh, beers on ice and uh, and uh, cocktail food, and you're a long way away from the long way away from the game. But it's yeah, it's a good experience. I think some of the things that they're doing now in stadiums is changing up that model a little bit. Haven't been to a Dallas Cowboys game, but they've got they've got like bunkers at at ground level. And so you effectively can walk out and just stand behind the, you know, behind the players. You don't have a great view of the game, but you get to feel closer to the game. I think the, uh, uh, the Gold State Warriors are doing something similar for their new court, uh, putting some suites, um, like effectively underneath the court. So you're pretty much in the suite and then you walk out and you're sitting court side. So there's a, it's, it's sort of changing a little bit, but the main thing is, it's just the, you know, you're in the exclusive club. It's effectively to say, Hey, I'm in the, I'm in the nightclub, um, you know, and at the Clippers that, you know, they've, they've actually converted uh, a couple of suites and so it is a nightclub. So if you don't want to stay in your suite, you can go, you know, to effectively to a nightclub and you look, you know, you look to your left and there's a basketball game happening and you look to your right and there's a DJ. So yeah, right. the stadiums, stadiums are changing a little bit uh, because people don't want to just, you know, 16 people sitting there in the, you know, in the suite. They want to have, up that experience. So that's sort of where stadiums are moving uh, in that high-end space. It's funny. You just made me think. When it comes to distance from the game, I remember, I'm not sure if it was Bruce McAvaney or Leighton Hewitt, but they got asked offhand, why, when you're so busy, do you come and commentate all these games in this tiny little bunker? And whichever of the two it was said, because it's the greatest view on earth. Yep. You can't beat the view of being that close. So yeah. I guess with those corporate boxes, they do have to overcome a little bit of the fact that you're not going to have the greatest view in the world with all the extra entertainment, I guess. Yeah. How, just before we do move on, how how far realistically were you from the game? Like, would you prefer to be out of a box and closer to the court? It just, again, it depends on the court design. So, like, you know, the Palace of Auburn Hills, it because it's such an old stadium, all the corporate boxes are sort of up in the third level, whereas the new stadiums now are putting corporate boxes um, at the second level and sort of making them a little bit closer. Or you've got uh, – I, like, I was lucky enough to buy my daughter tickets because she was in New York Christmas Day, and they've got like a sky bridge um, above Madison Square Garden. So she was effectively courtside but above the stadium and so she was sort of looking down on the court. So, like, it's they're, they're doing their best to, yeah, to bring that proximity of those high-end seats closer. Um, but, uh, yeah, whether you get the full suite experience or you're just sitting, you know, courtside next to Jay-Z, um, you know, some people want that instead. I think it's important because I'm actually a board member of a Siebel basketball team, which is the next level down from the NBL in Australia, so the second highest quality league. Yep. And... The starting fives of all those teams are basically all professional players, so they're exceptional. And there's nothing like being at court level with premium athletes or field level or whatever it is. It's just a different experience. You actually understand, I think, as a sports fan, exactly what real athleticism is. Yeah, and And you just don't realise how big they are. Yeah, well, that too. You just get down to court level and suddenly they all look like trees. Yeah. (laughs) It's amazing. Okay, Sean. Let's talk some School of Hard Knock Knocks. Hopefully, I've been getting that name right. It's been bar- burned yeah. into my, my head. As no, that you was, have. You've that, got that yeah. right. Yeah, let's talk. What is it and why did you start it or why are you involved if you are? 
yet. So let's. Uh, yeah. So so I'm a uh, I guess an alumni. Um, so I did the uh, School of Hard Knock Knocks, which is a five day a five day course. Uh, you turn up on the Sunday, uh, Sunday night, and you do a couple of hours. And you the goal is five days later you're on stage doing five minutes of stand up comedy. So. You know, I pretty much did it uh, for a bit of fun, a bit of challenge, uh, challenge myself. I'm a professional speaker, so I, I speak I speak on stage talking about sports and digital and marketing. Um, and so I sort of did it as a professional development uh, piece. And, yeah, so pretty much, you know, started there. I think I had maybe two minutes of really terrible material on the Sunday um, and then by, by the Thursday, I sort of had five minutes of sort of okay material that, that got a few laughs. And so, yeah, and then uh, we recently did a uh, School of Hard Knock Knocks uh, best of show. Uh, so they did 12 shows at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. So I think it was my fourth gig. So I've done a few gigs since then. But effectively, my fourth gig was uh, at the third largest comedy festival in the world. And I did uh, I did ten minutes in a packed room that was loud and heaving and um, and laughs got some laughs so yeah it was a lot of fun um, one of the uh, so Ben Horowitz is the teacher um, he's the one that came up with the name of uh, School of Hard Knock Knocks and I agree it's a great name um, and then the guest comedian that came in when I did it uh, was uh, Richard Stubbs uh, so Stubbsy so and it was just great to get some insights on. Uh, from him, like when he saw me the first time, I think it was on the Monday night. He sort of said, "Yep, you can obviously speak. Uh, you can you can do after dinner speaking. You can obviously keynote." But he said, "You're not you're not funny enough. You're not punchy enough. You're not coming up with enough jokes." Because I was just telling like a funny story. Yeah, right. And so yeah, I guess my main takeaway was yeah to really you know to practice and really look for the look for the funny you know as quickly as possible and and get to the point. Um, so. It was fun. It was a blast. Uh, you know, real shot of adrenaline getting off stage after making, you know, a room full of people laugh. Yeah, so it was good fun. And just for anyone that's listening to this who might, might be thinking, who is Richard Stubbs and why does his opinion matter? He was, well, the story is essentially, he was the first really high quality comedian that brought his act to FM radio in Australia. He's been a comedian for for 25 years. Um, he's performed for you know performed for Queen and Nelson Mandela and comedy festivals around the world. But yeah, he was uh, he was a bit of a trailblazer in in seeing stand up comedians on uh, on on FM radio. Um, you know now you can't uh, flick the dial without listening to one. But uh, Stubbs, he's been a long time veteran and yeah, real funny bloke. Yeah, and I think he subscribes to that one good joke every 10 seconds kind of rule. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. And it's really hard. To, it's really hard to do. So, you know, when I was trying to put together material and sort of being the, you know, time is, is, uh, creates a lot of pressure. And so I didn't try to, uh, I guess, copy other comics. I sort of stayed in my, in my wheelhouse. So a lot of my comedy at the moment is, uh, about, about, uh, technology and sport and how it works together and where I find humor in it. So in the end, you know, that's worked. I've got a couple of bits that uh, really do well. And it's just a matter of, uh, you know, if I get up and do it a couple more times, hopefully I will. So just before we finish up today, Sean, do you mind telling us, you don't have to give away any of your, obviously this material you're working on on stage, but is there anything particularly funny that you find about the convergence of sport and nerd culture or tech? Is there any particular thing that's been making you laugh about it lately? 
Yeah, I, I haven't checked. what What's the rating of your podcast? What can I say and not say? You can say anything besides the C word, I reckon. Okay, okay. You're not, not, not going to let me talk about Collingwood? No, that's one of the – that is the C word I was referring to. Yeah, so I guess one of the things that I've sort of – I've riffed on and uh, um, joked about a lot of time in doing what I do at Sports Geek is – Whenever an athlete misbehaves um, on uh, on the internet, and unfortunately, it ends up with uh, uh, you know dick pics end up being published, and uh, I'm the I'm the unfortunate guy that gets a call that says, "Can we get this off the internet?" Um, so <laughs> so unfortunately, I've seen far too many than I than I would like. You know, so I've effectively got a hotline to call up Facebook and Twitter and those likes to say, "Can we get this removed?" So it's you know it's a that's, that's the glamorous part of uh, 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 sports geek. And so, yeah, so I've got a whole bit uh, around how technology is changing and making us lazier and it's, uh, and it's, and it's, you know, I don't know if it's a good thing. Um, you know, now we've got Google's got facial recognition, Apple's got facial recognition. It can detect, detect our face to open up, uh, open up our phone. And, and I, you know, what I want to do is extend this technology, um, is if, uh, if the face can be used to unlock, what I want is, uh, the cock to lock the phone. And so this right. cock locking technology, I think, will save me a lot of time. It'll save yeah. a lot of athletes. And the responses from audience so far is a lot of women think it's a winner uh, because I think it's not just athletes that are sending unsolicited dick pics. So yeah, right. Uh, I'm uh, developing cock locking technology. Um, hopefully, it'll be in the next uh, version of both Google and Apple phones. Um, and uh, and hopefully, yeah, uh, the world will be a better place. Wow. Well, it's going to be an encrypted cock, I guess, on the iOS app. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You've yeah, done well there. There's, there's so many. There's uh, unfortunately there's so many angles. And when <laughs> I'm saying that, and I'm talking about the joke, I'm talking about all the dick pics that are out there in the world. So yeah, yeah it's just a matter of uh, how can we shut this thing down. <laughs> right. Well, that's fantastic. I just got to ask. You said that people think that you have a hotline, like your Batman or something, to the powers that be. Yep. When when D'Angelo Russell did his thing with Nick Young. Yep, and and expose that whole story, which has an Australian connection. Yep. Did you get a call at any point about? I did. That I off? didn't. I didn't get a call for that, but yeah, unfortunately, I have got that call from clubs a few times saying, "Hey, can you can you get this off the internet?" I'm like, "Well, how about they don't put it on the internet to begin with?" <laughs> yeah, that'd be um, awesome. So you know, so it is a little bit of that, but uh, you know, people could bring me in to say, "Can you come and talk to our athletes and tell them what to do and not to do?" And I just say, "Don't be a dickhead." And it's a really short speech, but uh, unfortunately, uh, I still keep being asked back to talk again because uh, it keeps happening. Nice. Well, I think that's a good way to finish. I mean, don't be a dickhead. That's a good motto for it- life, life, travel, sport, anything social exactly. media. Exactly. Exactly. It's a it's a free uh, social media uh, policy for anyone, uh, not just athletes. Yeah, I might sticky note that to the top of my iMac here. I think. <laughs> Righto, well, Sean Callanan, thank you so much, sportsgeekhq.com. Is there anywhere else that you want people to check you out? I know you're a bit of an Instagram monster. So oh, oh, I like, I like not, your I'm Instagram good, work. <laughs> I'm not even – I'm not good-looking enough to be an Instagram monster. Um, yeah, but you just cover so, all of the yeah, – so everything on there is just super interesting. So. Yeah, so uh, Sports Geek is my business. Uh, you can find me at sportsgeekhq.com. Uh, I'm happy to connect with anyone. Um you know, like Shaquille O'Neal said to Charles Barkley, other than that, you can just Google me, Chuck. Um, you'll find me at most places on the internet, um, and I'm pretty approachable most of the time. Nice. And any stand-up? Is that something you're getting out and doing? Uh, well, uh, I probably – it's it's a bit of a – I should, but I've got a bit of travel coming up, and so I'll be in Dallas for a conference later this year. And so I'm, I'm pretty much telling people I'm just going to call up a Dallas comedy club and – 
and do a gig in Dallas. And uh, and, if, and the good thing about comedy clubs, if you tell them that you're going to bring in 30 people, they'll give you as much time on stage as possible. So um, um, I don't know whether I'm a good comedian or a terrific marketer or both, um, but if I can fill a room, people will come in and laugh. Uh, I guess that makes me a comedian. Yeah, definitely. And for anyone out there from Dallas-Fort Worth, if you just walk into any comedy club and shout, where's the guy with the accent? I'm sure that you'll yeah. find him. So, oh yeah, excellent. in America, I could just talk and they just start laughing. It doesn't. Yeah. I don't have to say anything funny. They just, <laughs> they just want to let, hear hear an Australian accent. So, nice. that's easy. I'll just get up there, do a crocodile and D joke, something about Yahoo serious, and I'll be fine. Yep, sounds good to me. <laughs> okay, no mate. Well, thank you, Sean. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. <laughs> Cheers, mate. 